Church, how are we? Who else could make a wretch his treasure? Only a holy God. I'm fired up this morning. I think I might preach for an hour today, so we'll see. Amen, amen, amen. And all God's people said, get me out of here, right? Uh, well, let me do one thing before we get into the word. If you are sitting on the outside of your row, if you could grab that register. Uh, so that means if you're closest to the wall, that's you. Grab that register. Love for everybody to fill that out. Let us know how we can pray for you. Let us know how we can praise alongside you. Uh, we would love to do that for you this week. And also, let me invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Last week, we started a series that we've entitled The Disciplined Life. And we looked at 2 Timothy 2.15. Uh, but first we clarified one important thing that we must not forget. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? We cannot forget that. We cannot miss that. However, our works still matter, don't they? Our good works are still important for our lives with the calling on our lives to glorify God by making disciples, it's going to take a disciplined effort to fulfill that. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Living the Christian life requires our best efforts. Now, we don't do that in order to earn favor from God. We, we don't perform and do good things thinking somehow that we will be saved by them. Rather, our good works are an overflow of the salvation that we've received in Christ. We must understand that. Otherwise, we will get tripped up when we talk about the disciplined life. The disciplined life is not to earn God's favor. The disciplined life is lived out of already having earned God's favor through the shed blood of Jesus Christ for our sins. He is our salvation. And so it is an overflow of worship is the reason why we live disciplined lives. This morning we're going to stay in the book of 2 Timothy. And we're going to focus on the discipline of the Bible. Let me read 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 for us as we get started. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, I thank you already this morning for the reminder of your holiness. Father, the fact that you have never done any wrong. Jesus, when he walked this earth for 30 plus years, however long it was, never committed a single sin. You are holy. And the very reason, the very thoughts that we can come to you in prayer should blow our minds. 
And then to think, God, that you have given us the Holy Scriptures for us to get to know you. Oh, your kindness in that. Father, let that not be lost on us this morning. Let us not grow familiar with this gift that we hold in our hands. And Lord, we need your help this morning to decipher through understanding our salvation is by grace. And then also understanding that you still call us to to live good, holy lives. God, help us to understand that. Help Help us to love your word out of an overflow of worship, not as a need to perform. God, we need you because we're, we're tempted. I'm tempted, Lord, regularly to look at it as a checklist thing. It's not that. So, Father, would you protect us this morning, protect us from condemnation, Lord. Your word says for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. What a gift. So, Lord, help us this morning. Give me clarity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My guess would be that this is a very familiar passage to you. Uh, This is one that you've heard me quote many times, and you will hear me quote many times afterwards. And and one main reason for that is that it is so easy for me to become legalistic, for me to make reading God's Word a checklist. Have you ever wrestled through approaching the Bible as something you have to do? You know, if you don't read it, you feel guilty or ashamed. And if you do read a lot, you might be tempted to feel great. We, and, we, and we base it on the activity of having checked the list of reading it. If that's the way you approach God's word, it is not sustainable. Eventually, you will lose heart because you'll be tired, number one, of feeling discouraged all the time, or you'll become so proud that you will have missed scripture altogether and it will become nothing to you. But by running to these verses, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I'm reminded of the great gift of the Bible to our souls. So this morning we're going to look at three truths of the beauty of the Bible that we pull from these verses here. The first thing is this. The Bible is God's word. The Bible is God's word. Look at verse 16 again at the beginning. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. What does that mean, that scripture is breathed out by God? Well, it means it's it's inspired by God. 2 Timothy is a book written by Paul to the younger pastor Timothy, who was responsible for the proclamation of God's word to God's people. And we shouldn't think that somehow that Timothy had no idea the significance of God's word. Uh, we read further up that he, he grew up in it. Verse 15, it says, and from how from childhood you've been equated with the sacred scriptures. This is something Timothy was very familiar with. So this isn't new news, like, oh, this is God's word. No, this is something Timothy understood and knew very well. Paul is simply reminding him, man, this is God-breathed. This is, this is our everything. So what does it mean that all of Scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God? This is a massive theological question. And how we answer this question will affect how we view Scripture. So in order to help us understand this more, I want you to 
Uh, keep a mark here. We're going to come back to this, obviously. But look with me to 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. So towards the end of the Bible, 1 John, 2 John, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. So it's right towards the end. 2nd Peter chapter 1. Look with me at verses 20 and 21 as we, as we see the significance and, and understanding what it means that Scripture is inspired or breathed out by God. 2nd Peter 1 verse 20 says this. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We, we must understand with the inspiration of God on his word, we see his fingerprints everywhere. What is written in the Bible is what God wanted to have written but what we must not think of it as, as man just hearing from God, like sitting down and God's lecturing and the man is writing down everything. We shouldn't strictly think of inspiration as that way. Now let me ask you though, has that happened before in the scriptures? Do we see that sort of inspiration? Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the writing of the Ten Commandments and, and all the laws that were given in the Old Testament. This was God delivering it directly to man. That is part of inspiration. But this is not what we see in 2 Timothy, this is, this is not all of Scripture being given to us that way. Rather, each author in his own personality or his own style wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is why when you look at Scripture, you see each writer's different personality. Paul wrote a little bit different than Peter. Peter wrote a little bit different than John. I mean, just look at the Gospels. Are the Gospels, like, written the exact same way? No, if you read through them, they're written with a different sort of personality. That's what we must understand about inspiration, that each one was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Inspiration is not like a movie that is based on a true story. How many of you, be honest, you watch a movie that's based on a true story, and right in the middle of the movie, you're checking to make sure, hey, how does this line up? Do you do that? And how many of you, you, like the scene in a movie, you're like, oh, this is an amazing scene. I sure hope this is in the movie. And then you look up and realize, no, that was completely dramatized. And they took like one little section <laughs> of the true story and made a movie because they had to have an entertainment factor with it. That's not how scripture is inspired. It's not like a book where you might read the introduction where the person writes, well, I was inspired by my parents or or I was inspired by this person who went through this great struggle and came out. And so they're my inspiration for this book as if it was like some kind of emotional response of how somebody else lived. And they, re they reacted and wrote what they wrote. Not that those things are bad, but like this is a different inspiration. Those are man-centered inspiration. But when we, when we say that the scriptures were inspired, we're saying this. We believe that the Bible was written by men through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who carried the writers along using their personalities to communicate exactly what he wanted to communicate. They weren't like zombies who like all of a sudden somebody took over and they were possessed. No, this is how we live and move with the Holy Spirit. Just in a much deeper way as they wrote down what they wrote, it was the Holy Spirit moving through them. The Bible is God's word. Just let that sink in. 
I mean, what we read here are not man's words. These were, these were given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So what's the big deal? If we believe that this is true, if we believe that the Bible is God's word, then it means that the Bible is our authority. Let me ask you, how does the world respond to authority? Do you just see people like lovingly, willingly come under authority? Let me ask you, if you've been around small children, what's one of the first words they learn to say? No! <laughs> from, from child, from, from, from the wound, we come out in defiance against authority. This is not something that we just jump into and are willing to come under authority. How many of you as adults remember as kids thinking, man, I am not going to be like my parents. They're so mean. They don't let me do things that I want to do. But then you get older and, you, and you're like, mom and dad, I had no idea. Man, I was a fool. Thank you for your protection over me. And then you raise kids, and your kids are the same way that you were as a kid, and you wonder, what's wrong with you? The, the, the problem is we don't naturally come under authority. Have you ever worked for a business where you came in kind of level with everybody else, not really overseeing anybody, but through time and through your hard work, you've progressed, and, and all of a sudden you find yourself overseeing people, your authority over? And then have you ever found those peers who were once friends all of a sudden now feel intimidated or maybe they're mad because they thought they deserved to get the promotion but you got it over them and so they pull themselves away from you I mean who gets who gets the most criticism in in a business isn't it the bosses and the owners <laughs> leadership is lonely is it not but we as Christians must understand that we are called to come under the authority of Scripture. We don't, get to under, we don't get to make up what we think we want to happen. We don't get to decide and say, well, this is my body. I get to do with it what I want to. Or you know what? This is the way I feel inside. So whether somebody else wants to tell me this is not true or this is not right, I can do what I want because this is how I feel. Scripture gives us clarity of what we are to follow. You can't tell me who I can or cannot marry. No, I can't, but Scripture can. And if we're honest with ourselves, don't we all have our moments when we go against the authority of Scripture? Consider. Children, how many times do you disobey your parents? How often do we forsake to meet together on Sundays? How often do we tr treat church like an option, as if God said, come and go as you please. All you need is me. You don't need the church. How often do we avoid confessing our sins to one another? The scripture calls us to do that. We may be healed. How often do we neglect the pursuit of the Lord in our daily lives? Here's one. How often do we re refuse to forgive those who have sinned against us? Isn't that the gospel? Jesus forgave us even though we were unforgivable people? Forgive as he has forgiven us. How many other things do we give time to over our Lord and Savior? Listen, I, I don't say these things to condemn us. 
The scriptures says there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. Amen? We must remember that. But however, I want that to humble us because nobody here is just nailing the Christian life. Nobody's just, nobody can stand up and say, you know what, man, I batted a thousand this week. I didn't make a single mistake. If you're married, you could, you could probably ask your wife or husband to find out that that's not true. We must be humble. We must understand that God's word is our authority. If it is his word, then it is our authority. And we don't get to decide what we want or do not want to do. After all, what did Jesus call us to do? Whoever would come after me must do what? Deny himself. Take up his cross every so often. Take up his cross daily and follow him. God's word is our authority. And this really ties into our next point. If we understand that the Bible is God-breathed, then therefore we can trust that, number two, the Bible is profitable. If the Bible is God's word, that means this is going to serve our lives. Look at verse 16 again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This idea of profitable means it's beneficial. It has value, it's useful, it's aiding, it's serviceable to us. And the reason why the Bible is so beneficial is because it was inspired by God. He's not left us on our own. What an amazing gift that we have here. And I want you to think about something. Think about somebody famous, somebody popular whom you respect. Maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a, an athlete, I don't know. You, you think of who, somebody that you respect who is high in the public, like a lot of people would know them. Imagine this week you open your mailbox and to your surprise you got a personally written letter from that person uh, to you. Would, would that not be pretty cool? Like, come on, let's be honest, it would be, it'd be kind of neat to have somebody like that write a letter. Do you, do you realize the gift that we have here? The written word of God given to us by the Holy Spirit. You know, I see so many people are like, man, I wish I could just hear a word from the Lord. And I'm like, are you serious? He's given you this whole book. You don't need to have a personally written letter to God because you already have it. What a gift this is. And we, we belittle it. We, we overlook it. And we forget the fact that this is God's gift that is profitable for us. You've heard me quote 1 John 5, 3 over and over again. This is the love of God that we can keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. If you are viewing God's word as a burden, something is wrong with your soul. I'm not saying necessarily from an eternal perspective, but you're having the wrong understanding of the gift that we hold here. God's word is profitable. It's not just some other book. It brings Benefit to us. How many of you have read a book and you get to the end, you're like, well, that was a waste of 18 hours of my life right there. That doesn't happen with this. With God's word. 
This isn't like an infomercial that convinces you that you have to have that special kitchen appliance. And then you bring it home and it becomes just another thing that you really didn't need. I mean, how many different kind of toasters do you need, right? Let's look at what it is profitable for. First of all, it's profitable for teaching. In the scriptures, we learn about who God is. Why do we get songs like, like only a holy God? Where do those come from? They come from scriptures. They're inspired. How do we know of God's holiness? We know it from his word. It teaches us about God. It teaches about Christ and about who Jesus is. Jesus wasn't just a man who earned the, the role of God. Jesus was man and he was fully God at the same time. He was there before the foundation of the world. He was there at creation. John 1.1 1, 1, that was read in the beginning was what? The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We learn about Jesus. We learn about salvation. Look at verse 15. And now from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. We want to learn about salvation. We learn it from the Scriptures. The Bible profits us by teaching us about our God. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that. Whatever it is that you think about God is the most important thing about us. If you look at God as some cruel, mean master, how are you going to respond to him? You're not going to want anything to do with him. If you respond to God as just some loving being who loves everybody, then you're going to view your sin a little bit differently. And people are going to be flabbergasted that anything bad would happen because how could a loving God allow that to happen? But if you believe in the God of scriptures, you can understand all of those things. Scripture teaches us about God. God's word is also profitable for reproof. So you may have a, your version of the Bible may say rebuke. This is about refuting errors. It's about bringing realization to what is wrong in our lives. This is about rebuking false teachers. This is a very strong reproof, very strong correction. I mean, how many times do you get way off track and you just need a spiritual spanking? Anybody with me in that? Sometimes I just need the Lord to bend me over his knee and give me a big whooping. We need that. That's what this is about. It's like, Ben, get on track. Let me lovingly discipline you. You need it. It also says correcting. So this is, this is, this is a more positive view of reproof. It's like, you know, sometimes like we need our edges rounded. And I remember wood shop in eighth grade, and you'd do a project, and you'd get, you'd get points taken off if you didn't have the edges nicely rounded. And it's, that's just kind of what the correcting is. Like sometimes we just, we just need a little stirring in the right direction. Uh, I, I coach middle school basketball boys, which is quite the treat. <laughs> it's like herding cats sometimes. But, you know, we're two and three. We've lost three games. We won Friday. Uh, we're improving slowly. Like we, but we have work to do. 
There are some things and skills that, they, that we need to work on and figure out. But we don't need to scrap it all and start all over. That's kind of more like the reproof is like, man, you are way out of line. It's just like we, we just need a little bit of correcting. That's what the scripture comes along and, and helps us to do. It helps correct us and, and get us back on the right path if we've tripped up a little bit. Lastly, we see here that scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. You want to grow in Christ's likeness? You want more God in your life? You want to live a right life? Then you need training from God's word. God's word is like our spiritual boot camp that prepares us for war. It prepares us. It trains us up. It, it gives us those spiritual muscles. Because you, you, ever, you ever like not work out for a long time? And then you go to work out, like, this is, this is my biggest fault. Like, I go to work out, and I'm, like, going to lift the highest weights I can possibly lift. And I'm just going to go crazy. What happens when you haven't worked out for a while, and you just go run 100 miles an hour? You just give up, right? <laughs> like, your body goes into shutdown mode for, like, a week. Like, we need to train ourselves up. We need to train ourselves up. Why does God allow suffering? Because part of it is he, is he wants to teach us to rely on him. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 that we've looked at before. He, he despaired of life itself is what he said. That was to teach him not to rely on himself but on God who raises the dead. Some of us are so stubborn to think we can pull up our life by our own bootstrap and God's saying, no, you can't. The best gift I can give you right now is to bring weakness. Remember what Paul said about weakness? What did he boast in? He boasted his weakness because when he is weak, who is strong? God. But we need training in righteousness. Sometimes the training is painful because we need to learn to rely on God. Because we're so stubborn and we think we can handle it ourselves. We need to develop the spiritual muscle in our lives. That's why scripture says he doesn't give us more than we can handle. Some people like to say, like, like, let's just think, I think there's two different ways. Like some people say, does God give us more than we can handle? The scriptures say actually no. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with the temptation, he will provide a way out so you can stand up under it. So here's what I know when people say God does give us more than we can handle. I know what we mean is that God is faithful to come and help us. But the reality is, like, anything that you're going through right now is not more than you can handle with the help of God. And we find that great help when we center our lives on the word of God. The word of God profits us to help us through our trials and struggles. The scriptures don't take away the trials. Reading the Bible more is not going to make you prosper and have all the money that you need in the bank account. It's not going to make your kids healthy, but it'll make your soul healthy. And when those trials come, we have the word of God. We have God's grace to lean on because we've studied and we remember his promises. The Bible is God's word. The Bible is profitable. And lastly, this. The Bible is transforming. The Bible is transforming. Look at verse 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
Why is it that we need God's word? It's because we have work to do for the kingdom of God. We are called to go and make disciples, and in order to do that, we need instructions to complete us. We need to be equipped, and that is exactly what the Bible does for us. Now, most of us, if not all of us, we're completing something. There are some kind of works that are being performed. I mean, we live in a hyper-production society, don't we? I mean, how many different books are there on production, on being productive? Like, great, great tools that we've learned. But sometimes we can find ourselves being super productive in things that don't matter. Like, think about that. How much time do you put in being productive for the sake of the Lord? How much time are you building your spiritual muscle versus putting time in to grow your career and be the greatest whatever possible, meanwhile forsaking the greatest calling that you have on your life? hundred years from now, nobody's going to give a rip of how great you build a building. Nobody's going to care about how well you finance money. Nobody's going to care how well you run a, run a factory. What will matter and carry to eternity, though, is what effort did you put into building the kingdom of God? We need God's word to remind us of what we are called to live for. Let me remind you, Matthew 5, of what we've closed many services with, and we will continue to do that. We are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You see how this all flows together then. Why do we want to perform good works? So that others can see us and give glory to God. How do we perform good works? By being students of the word. By dedicating our lives to the understanding of what God's word is. I understand there are limitations for us. We, you do have jobs. You have to make money to live in our society. And so you can't spend hours and hours and hours on reading God's word. But with the time that you have, are you redeeming it? Because we want our lights to shine bright. And if we are giving ourselves to other things, our, light, our lights will grow dim. Brothers and sisters, you want to be a better disciple of Christ? You want to look more and more like Jesus? It starts by living a disciplined life and being a disciple of the word of God. Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Every day, we are filling our minds with something. What is it that you give your attention to? What is it that you are filling your mind with? Do you realize that what you give yourselves the most intention to will have the greatest impact on you? Think about it. If you are a shopaholic and you are always looking for the best sales, uh, Amazon, for instance, and you got your wish list, and every day your, your Christmas is coming, and you know what certain people want, and so you're, we, can, we can become obsessed, and all we're doing is we're consumed about, oh, that sale starts at midnight, and there's a limited quality, and it's a lightning sale, and so I got to hit it, and so I got to mark my calendar, and we prioritize those things, and nothing gets in the way of that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. 
But if we live our lives every day like that, we're going to set ourselves up for failure. If you give yourselves to sports, your joy will be based on how well your team does. And all week long, you'll fill your mind with the podcast of your favorite team, learning about the latest news and what happened to so-and-so and what do they need to do to get it right to beat the team that's coming up. And there are, I mean, I love podcasts, and there are a million out there, and there are a million distractions that can pull us. And, and the thing that I'm convicted about this morning is how many neutral podcasts are getting in the way of me pursuing the Lord because it's so much easier for me to listen to somebody talk about something that doesn't matter than it is to put effort into things that last for eternity. You, you do realize, right, that the things that take the most discipline are usually the things that most benefit us? And the things that are the easiest are the things that least benefit us. I don't have to work at eating donuts. I got to work at choosing the vegetables over the potato chips. That's still a potato. If it's your career that you give the most attention to, you'll be obsessed with advancing and do whatever you can to advance. And you may say it's to provide for the family, but meanwhile, all, all you're giving them is a paycheck and you're not giving them your lives. And they look at you and they, they know who your mistress is. If it's entertainment, then your life will revolve around when your favorite show is available Wakanda forever. Some of you may get that. But if the word of God is our priority, then it will transform us into the image of his son. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are you filling your minds with? Are you prioritizing the word of God, are you understanding that it, it has the ability, the power, the hope, with the help of the Holy Spirit to transform you? Let me give you a few ways that we can prioritize God's word. These are nothing new, just as a reminder of what can help us. Number one, memorize scripture. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that what? I might not sin against you. What a great benefit that is. How many of you want less sin in your life? When we memorize the scriptures, what we're doing is we're giving the Holy Spirit something to work with. Like we often want the Holy Ghost power to move through us, and we don't want to lift a finger. But when we memorize scripture, then when we find ourselves in battle, that training and righteousness of memorizing God's word will come back to our memory to help us in those struggles. That temptation that you can't say no to. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that I already mentioned. No temptation has seized me Except what is common to man. God, remind me. This is not unusual. I don't find myself in, in space that no one other person has ever been in. No, this is common ground. And God, you're faithful. This is not more than I can handle with your help. That you always provide a way out, Lord. Help me to see that way out. But if we don't hide God's word, then we miss out on things like that. And we think, I, have no, I, have, I can't help but give in to temptation. That's just the way I am. Look, this is what the scientific books tell me. This is the diagnosis that the doctor gave me. It's not about me. It's just what's inside me. We've got to renew our mind. Don't be conformed to the world. Number two, another thing we can do to prioritize God's word, study it. 
our theme verse for this series, 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed because he's rightly handling the word of truth. He's given priority to what matters the most. Again, let me, let me remind you, like, there's no condemnation. So you are limited. If you, if you have family, even scripture says, like, if you take a wife, then your priorities have been mixed up in a good way. Like, like you, you owe attention to your spouse. And so you have to balance that well. And you throw kids in there, it can become very difficult to study. But are you redeeming the time that you have? If you can faithfully say yes, then praise the Lord. But I encourage you, take some time to study it. If all we do is just read through the Bible all the time, over and over again, that may benefit us. And I'm actually going to talk about that next. But we also may just need to slow down and let the word of God, like, meditate on it. Meditation means we actually take time to think and ponder. Reading through just to read through is not meditating. Take time to study it. Here's the third thing, though. <laughs> I'm going to feel like I'm contradicting myself, but I'm not. Read through the Bible. Read through the whole Bible. If it takes you a year, great. If it takes you two years, great. If it takes you a year and a half, whatever it takes you, I encourage you to still have that practice of reading through the Bible in a, in a, in a sh- short amount of period as possible without killing yourself. <laughs> the reason I say that is because we get the full counsel of God's word. And we get to understand, like, you ever just, like, read through the Old Testament, and you're like, these Israelites are a bunch of idiots. You ever, th- you ever attempted to think that? I used to think that until I realized, man, I'm an idiot too. <laughs> but, like, over and over again, God's like, if you would just cry out to me, I would forgive you. And then they cry out, and then what do they do? One king later, they're all back to the same stuff. I mean, just look at, the, look at the timeline of the kings. Good king, bad king. Good king, bad king. Bad king, worst king, worst king ever. Good king, bad king, worst king. And then at the right time, we get the king of kings. You miss that. If you don't, put, if you don't look at the whole scriptures, you miss. Like you're, like, it, I would, it's like, don't you wish you could go back in time and have this be all fresh for you? Like before salvation and where God, you could just read through it and then God would illuminate where you're reading through the Old Testament and think, this is horrible. Have you read through some of the prophets? It's terrible. And you're longing and then you turn to Matthew and the Gospels and you're introduced to the Savior. But you miss it if you just pick and choose what you want to read. So even though I say be careful just to read through the Bible, I still want you to do that, to value and look at the whole picture, the whole scheme of things. Here's another thing we can do. Study the scriptures with others. Study the scriptures with others. Have you ever looked at a passage one way, and then you, you do life with other people, and then they bring this new perspective? Okay, this is dangerous because a lot of people have my truth and your truth. There's only one truth, Amen. And we have to be careful when we're looking at Scripture that we keep the main thing the main thing. But there are different angles that we can take from Scripture, is there not? Like we can focus on, we can focus on grace, 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 and act like we can do whatever we want to because there's grace. And, but we want to be heavy on grace, right? But our works matter too. James, what does James say? Faith without works is dead. And then we have somebody who, who's built differently, who has a different focus. We can, we can care for one another. That's why I love our elder team. We're different guys. Aaron's like a let's get stuff done. 
And I'm more like, let's hug and hug it out and let's have a, let's enjoy. But like, Ben, you got to get stuff done. And I'm thankful. And I think we help each other out that way because we have a different perspective on things. Should we do works? Yes. Should we be gracious? Yes. And that's the beauty of studying together because the Holy Spirit is dwelling with all believers and we can encourage one another in that way. Here's the last way we can prioritize God's word. Pray through the Bible. Pray through the Bible. If you've never done that and you feel like you're at a dry season when it comes to the word of God, let me encourage you to to pick a small passage and just begin to pray through it. And, and, And this is where it's like, we want proper theology, but I'm not worried about my theo- like the proper theology fitting in the passage. You know what I mean? Like when I'm preaching a message, the main point of the text has to be the main point of the sermon. We don't go outside of that. But when I'm praying the Bible, I'm still going to have true theology, but I'm not worried about if it's contained in that, right, in that verse in the right way. You know what I mean? Does that, does that make sense? I may have just like screwed everybody up this morning. Theology matters. We've got to get it right. But when I'm praying, I'm just praying. What does the scripture say? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God, you know what? I do have everything I need. And sometimes I act like I don't. Sometimes I act like I do need that. Sometimes I act like, Lord, that life is not going to go on if I don't get that. But, Lord, I'm reminded this morning that because you're my shepherd, I have everything I need. You make me lay down in green pastures. You know what, God? Right now it feels like I'm laying on rocks. I don't see any green pastures. I need, you to look, I need you to lead me beside still waters. God, I need you to restore my soul right now because I, I feel like I am in the darkest valley that I've ever been into. But Lord, I know that even though your, words, your word says, even though I walk through the, sh- the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why, Lord? Because you're with me. Oh, God, remind you that even in the midst of this, when I get overwhelmed, that you are with me right here. Lord, your rod and your staff, they come for me. God, is there some way where I need you to hit me with your rod because I'm off track? Or Lord, do I need to be led somewhere differently because I'm on the wrong path? God, let your your staff lead me. And God, thank you for the reminder that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And Lord, I know that one day all these struggles are going to come to the end and I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a book that I gave away a while ago, Don Whitney, if you received that, called Praying the Bible. I hope you've read it. It's a short book. It's just phenomenal. It's very simple. There's no, there's no deep understanding of praying through the Bible. We're just, what are we reading and what is God bringing to mind? Let's pray for it. Went way longer than I planned, but may that benefit you. Let me leave you with some action steps that you can go deeper in this week especially in the light of the disciplining, the disciplined life surrounding the word of God. Uh, memorize 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So when you're tempted to be overwhelmed and find scripture burdensome, you're reminding yourself that all scripture is God-breathed. It's God's word. Man, he's given me his words. I see him in it. I'm reminding of all the greatness of God's word for us. I encourage you to spend some time reading through Psalm 119. I feel like I've had these action steps before, but I think they're worthy of being reminded. I, I run to Psalm 119 regularly. Lord, I'm feeling so cold-hearted right now towards your word. But Lord, I'm reminded that how does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Father, I've hidden your word in your heart that I might not sin against you. Just reminding ourselves of the beauty and the promises of God's word so that we guard against legalism. And then here's a question I want you to ask yourself this week. 
What is the role of God's word in your life? Two ways to answer this. I want you to guard against just answering it the Bible answer, right? The Sunday school answer. You know, it's the answer. You ever teach, this is one of the reasons I love kids' ministry and why I'm jealous that I have to be up here and not get you at the kids' room. Like the Bible and Jesus, right? Those are like the, the main answers. I love the simplicity. I don't want you to answer it the, just the right way. I want you to answer it truthfully. What role do you see the scriptures currently playing in your life? Does it have a role? Is your, are you viewing your circumstances through God's word? Are you understanding what's going on in your life based on what God's word says? Or are you allowing all the other influences and God is just another thing on the shelf? The Bible is just another tool that you pull out here and there whenever you feel like it. What is the true role of God's word in your life today? Not what it should be. What is it? And then how can you make some steps and some changes to discipline yourself to put God's, role in its, God's word in its proper role in your life? And then lastly, just get in the word. Be a student of the word. Let me invite you to stand. We're going to sing here in a moment. But let me pray for us before we do. Father, I thank you for the beauty of God's word. You have given us this incredible gift. And Father, I'm aware. I'm aware of the temptation right now of walking out of here discouraged. Lord, I pray that you would, your spirit would, would ring in the lives of believers this morning to remind themselves there is no condemnation. But God, you might be bringing conviction. Lord, if there are areas in our life that we need to change because maybe we're, maybe we're not thinking of God's word highly enough. Lord, perhaps we, we are looking at it legalistically as a checklist and it's become burdensome to us and we just need to repent of a heart that isn't believing the authority, isn't coming under the authority. Perhaps, Lord, we are not putting the God's word in its proper place of authority over our lives, where we decide to, to hide certain areas of our lives and act like they're for us, and you get the other parts. Lord, just, just protect us from going out of here beating ourselves up, Lord, but let her rather challenge us to grow in godliness, to, to be students of your word. God, we need your help. We are, we, are, we are a twisted people sometimes. I'm a twisted person who gets it all mixed up in my head. I pray for joy in the word of God. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So, Father, would you change our hearts to rest in your promises, to love your word, to find great incredible joy. Lord, that you would transform us and that you would then lead us to good works so that others may see our good works, that we could give glory to you, Lord, that we would be reminded of the fact that we are called to build your kingdom. God, we need your help in this journey. Teach us to be properly disciplined in our, in our lives. And Lord, help us to give the proper attention our lives need to the word of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.